Welcome to the 30-Minute Hour. It's the weekly podcast where we discuss business, sports, politics, and whatever's on our mind. I'm your host, Eric Twiggs, your procrastination prevention partner. I'm also the author of The Discipline of Now, 12 Practical Principles to Overcome Procrastination. (laughs) Joining me, as always, is Ted Fells. He's the business strategist extraordinaire, the super CEO and all around, nice guy, good guy. You like my tie? Yes, I see you You chose to dress for the occasion. <laughs> yeah, I thought do a little something different today. Put do a little a, something different? Put on a tie. It's not even clip on, right? You can look, uh, okay. I actually, I tied it. You took the time to tie it. Absolutely. Did a little <laughs> oh, something different. Man. A little something different. Yeah, this is, it's truly not your everyday podcast when Ted comes up in here with a tie yeah, on. With a tie on, absolutely. You know something's about to break <laughs> off. A little different on today. On the 30-minute hour. I was serious today. Right. <laughs> Theory. All right, and joining us is Britton Smith. Britton is, I know, shocking, right? Britton Smith. Britton Smith is the actually Smith. gracing us with his presence this week on the 30-minute hour. Wow. Yeah. Thanksgiving. Never uh-huh. trust Never trust anyone who never brought a book with them. So, Britton, he is our political pundit. Wow. That's right. Oh, political pundit. He's a political pundit. He's a renaissance man. Okay, okay. He's the man who refuses to be pigeonholed. All right, okay. How you like that, Britton? That's your yeah, he, I, I like it. I like it. You just, just from now on, I, I want you to make sure Ted says political before he says pundit. I don't want him calling me a pundit. Like, just, just, <laughs> just pundit without political. You just call me pundit. A, a political pundit. That's right. He's Good a political stuff. guy. Good stuff. So it's uh, it was exciting times over the weekend. The yeah. Redskins got their victory. Man, we can't win without some type of controversy. Yeah. We can't do anything. Are you talking about Selfie Gate? Selfie Gate. Yeah. Now that's something. Yeah. Because I, I remember looking out on the field, right? And I see, you know, uh, Case Keenum out there about the. Take the knee. Mm-hmm. Like they just brought him in just to take the knee. Did Dwayne Haskins get hurt? Like after the, you know, at the at the end of the game, I was like, "What's going on?" Yeah, I thought I thought that was pretty awesome that that the man didn't know how to win. That's the first <laughs> time he that's the first time he's done that in a while. So you know, he went, he went all out in the <laughs> crowd, just lost his mind. <laughs> Got a pretzel. I mean, he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> The guy had his jersey off. He, he's autographing folks, oh, autographing stuff. <laughs> oh, man. They've been giving him a hard time today, too. But uh, it was all in funny. I think he played a good game. He's a young guy. He was excited. So. Yeah, it is concerning, though. I mean, yet you have to question his awareness mm. of what's going on and yeah. timing and the moment and all that good stuff. So I, I here's where I am. Because people always ask me this, you know. And so, Eric, who, who's your team? Who's your favorite team? Who, yeah. who do you root for? Yeah. Here's my answer. It's the opponent of the Dallas Cowboys. That's your team. That's my team. No. Yeah. Wh- whoever is that opponent. I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to get my little foam finger, my that's jersey. Right. Whoever they're playing, that's my team. You're with it. That's right. Yeah. They... So, so this week, I'm a Buffalo Bills fan. Because you're a you're a New England Patriots fan right. yesterday. From four o'clock to seven o'clock yesterday, I was a Patriots fan. All right. So go Bills. Well, well, not only not only did the Redskins win, it was a good day for all of us. My Bears won too. Oh, go Bears! 
Go Bears. Who did the Bears play? Uh, yesterday we had the Giants of New York. Oh, that's like a bye week. The Giants of New York. <laughs> oh, it counts in our book. Yeah, it counts. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So happy we played so, so you guys got your got your victory. It's happy times all around here on the thirty minute hour. All of our teams won. So we had the Bears, we had the Redskins, we had my team from yesterday, the Patriots. <laughs> <laughs> it was all good. So there's there's something on my mind. Okay. Before I tell you what's on my mind, don't forget you can follow us on Facebook, on Instagram. You can watch us on YouTube. Uh, all you have to do is, is type. You can also uh, go to iTunes and find us there as well. Type in the 30-minute hour on the search bar. Don't forget you can sub- subscribe. But, yeah, there, there's something that's on my mind. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So, so I want to talk to you uh, for the next few moments about embracing the innovator's perspective. Mm. That's right. That's right, Britain. Embracing the innovator's perspective. Okay. So there's the difference. Oh, wow. What's that, Britain? I said, I said wow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> it's about to get deep. It's about to get deep. All right. So, so there's a difference between focus and perspective. Okay. Right? So focus is what you're looking at. Okay. Perspective, on the other hand, that's where you're looking from. Hmm. And here's what I've discovered. The people I work with, the entrepreneurs, the executives, CEOs, most people are focused on the obstacle. Okay. Right? While someone who's taking the innovator's perspective, they focus more on the opportunity. Okay. Like they can, two people can look at the same thing, but the, the innovator sees something totally different. Hmm. So, for example, so back in the day, most people who rode in a taxi cab, they saw delay, they saw frustration, they saw escalating fees because the guy would, the driver would get lost and all that other good stuff. <laughs> I know it's around here somewhere. Right? <laughs> that, that fee is just going on and on and on. Right. And you could be sharing a cab with the founders of Uber. Yeah. They sat in that same cab, they saw a game-changing business opportunity. Mm. Okay. Right? Okay. Right? Again, because they have a different perspective. So, so then... Back in the day, you, you went to go rent a movie, right? Mm-hmm. It was on a weekend. Most people, you stood in a long line. That's what you saw. Blockbuster. Right, you went to Blockbuster. You saw all these late fees. Yeah. I, this, I still got a Blockbuster what, card. What's that? I still got a Blockbuster what's card that? at the house somewhere. Though. Right, right. You probably owe late fees. Yeah, what's that? <laughs> look, look. He's a millennial. So right. He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't know what what's Blockbuster that? is. A Blockbuster? I don't, I don't get it. What, what is that? <laughs> Yeah. So was that so, a candy bar? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. It's a candy bar. So Reed Hastings, he was in that same video store line, but he saw this opportunity okay. to create Netflix. Okay. And it changed the game forever. So here's the question, right? So if you're listening to us, this is the time once again to get off the treadmill. Okay. Now this is the time if you're driving just to go ahead and pull over to the side of the road and, and answer this question. When you look at your business, when you look at your life, what do you see? What do you see? Are you looking at the haters? You know, do you have a business? And are you looking at all the people that said no to your offering? 
Are you looking at the glass ceiling? By the way, if you focus enough on the glass ceiling, eventually you're going to hit your head, right? Yeah, that'll happen. And it's, gonna, it's inevitable. If you focus on that thing for long enough, are you focused on the good old boys network that you can't seem to get around or you think you can't seem to get around? Yeah. So here's the challenge. You have to embrace the innovator's perspective if you want to see the opportunity. Okay. But here's the big thing. Here's the thing. You have to always question the default setting. The default setting. You got to question the default setting. Oh, this is good, yeah. Right. So if you have to, a, you have to question the status quo. Okay. okay. Right. Most people just just take whatever they see. That's what it is. Right. It, this is what it is. You know, I'm just gonna go along with. The, I'm just gonna go with the flow. Yeah. I'm gonna go along to get along. Right. Right. right? You, you have to question that thing, and. I know you're like, well, well, how do I do that, right? That's what I was thinking. How do I do that? How do I embrace this innovator's perspective and start questioning the default setting? That's your question, Ted. Mm -hmm. I know you're like, you're sitting on the edge of your seat. Yeah. You're waiting on the answer. So as I'm reading this book to help you with that, it's Mm -hmm. a book, and I'll put it in the show notes. It's called A More Beautiful Question. Mm -hmm. Really good book by this guy named Warren Berger. Uh, he outlines three questions that you can ask yourself whenever you're looking at the status quo. And this will help you to embrace that innovator's perspective. So you're looking at a situation. The first thing you need to ask yourself is, why is it this way? Mm. Don't just take it. Right. You know, why is it? Why, why is it this way? Why do we do this this way? Mm. If, if you ever run somebody that's really innovative, that's what they do. Why do we do this? Well, it sounds like little kids are really innovative because they're always asking their parents, well, why we got to do it this way? Right. Right. My son, my son is an innovator. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's six years old, but he's an innovator. <laughs> Why do we do this? And then the second part of that, number two, is what if? Hmm. What if we did this thing a different way? Okay. And then the third is how do I make this thing work? Hmm. So you're looking at the default setting. You're looking at the status quo. Why is it this way? What if I took a specific different action to make it different? And then... How am I going to make it work? Mm. For example, our guest today. Let, let, let's take our guest. Okay, okay. Right? Who's our guest today? Hey, I'm going to tell you that. So, she certainly has embraced the innovator's perspective. Okay, okay. Okay. So, she observed that the status quo was, when you, when you looked at these self-published authors, mm-hmm. they had limited opportunities to feature their books. Okay. If you just weren't published by a big national book publishing company. You, you had limited opportunities. She saw that as the status quo. Mm. So she said, why, why is it like that? Mm. Why does it have to be that way? And then she said, what if I created an annual book festival to highlight the efforts of self-published authors? Mm. What if I did that thing? Game changer. Game changer. Hmm. And then she asked, you know, how can I make this work? And the answer she came up with was the East of the River Book Festival in Washington, D.C. Mm. Okay. And now it's approaching its sixth year in existence. That's great. And it's grown phenomenally. Mm. Right. So she didn't just accept the default setting that if you're a self-published author, you had limited opportunities. Mm -hmm. She went out there and she took the innovator's perspective. Mm. So she's also, she's an educator. Okay. Educator. Okay. She's passionately engaged with urban communities. 
uh, as a practitioner and champion for students, schools, and families. She's an author. Mm. Her first picture book, it's titled A is for Anacostia. Okay. Highlighted the lovable children and popular sites of the vibrant Washington, D.C. community. Her second book is S is for Southside. And that delivers the same heartfelt sentiment to young readers as they journey through the south side of Chicago, mm. which is where she grew up and considers home. So please join me in welcoming <laughs> to the 30-minute hour, Dr. <laughs> Courtney Davis. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, that's an awesome introduction. Thank you so much. All right. <laughs> Dr. Courtney is somebody. She is somebody. You all stop. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> now, Ted, this is going to shock you, what I'm about to say next. Uh-uh. I'm going to put on my seatbelt. Put your seatbelt on. You're not going to uh -oh, see this coming. Uh-oh, we're about to go on the ride. I'm not going to see, I'm not gonna okay. see it coming. Not, this is going to be a total and complete surprise. Uh-oh. Dr. Courtney Davis. Yeah. Well, one thing I know for a fact. What's that? She's not a member of Omega Sci-Fi. She's not I, a member. I, I, right. I, I, know, I know that for I know that for a fact. This way, I can assure you, I she know is not that an for yes. a fact. Yes. You are correct. Good Because this, this had become because this is starting to become the Omega Sci-Fi. 30-minute hour. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, okay. So, so it's a slight detour from that. Okay. okay. Yeah. I'm sure you got a cue in the queue oh, for yeah. next week. I'm oh, sure. Always. <laughs> always a cue in the queue. Got to have a cue queued up. <laughs> but now, Dr. Davis is a proud graduate mm -hmm. of Hampton University. Uh, all right. All right. The real HU. The real HU. That's right. We have to shout out to the HU Nation, the real one out there. Absolutely. Rowdy, rowdy, rowdy. All right. Britton, what do you think about this, man? It's either it's either a Q or someone from Hampton, just about every week. Listen, I've been doing politics all of my young life. I recognize when the fix is in. <laughs> <laughs> the fix is definitely in. Mm -mm -mm. I tell you. I tell you. All right. With, we with, just have to share the love. That's all. We exactly. just share the love. All right. <laughs> Dr. Davis, it is certainly an honor to have you on the 30 Minute Hour podcast. Oh, it's an honor to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah. All right. So like we mentioned, you graduated from Hampton University. When you were yeah. on campus, what was your vision? What was the vision you had for your life at that time? Well, at that time, I was really focused on being an educator, specifically mm -hmm. a special education teacher mm -hmm. working with elementary school students. Okay. All That's right. what I wanted to be. Now, I have to take a few steps to share with you a really, really brief story. When I was what, a freshman, and I thought at that time, I'm going to be, no, maybe sophomore year, I'm going to be um, a political science major. And that was my major initially. And I was all about, I'll go poli sci, and then I'll go to law school, and that's the way, that's, that's my route. Hmm. And then we had an elective class that I had to choose something, and I thought, okay, 
I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll take this education course, mm-hmm. this one. And can I tell you, at that point, I discovered a whole new love. I had no intention of being a classroom teacher, mm. actually. Um, but I took that one class, loved it. Felt like, oh, my goodness, it was Foundations of Education, mm. the very first course. And I thought, this is fantastic. I had a number of friends that were education majors, and I started helping a friend of mine out with her work. So I was in one class. And I was helping another friend out with her work, and I thought, this is the best thing. I could do this. I could do this all day long, hmm. and I could do it for free. I ended up taking a second class, and that sealed the deal. Hmm. I thought, oh, definitely. I found my love. And to tell you how it worked out, I, I don't even know how I got to special education because I think the paperwork was switched, and I put it in the wrong pile, but I enjoyed my classes so much, I thought, okay, let's keep moving forward with this. Mm. And I think by junior year, I'd already switched majors, and it added a little bit of time onto my stay at Hampton University. And I absolutely loved it, and it was, that was my destiny to become a special education teacher. You said, you said a couple of things that I think the listeners need to key in on. That, that the, one of the ways you, you knew this was your calling in life, where you're supposed to go, mm-hmm. is that you felt like you could do it all day long. And yeah. you said, man, you know, I could just do this for free. I can't find For any, free. Why can't I find any of those people that want to come work with me and they could do it for free? <laughs> for free. I loved it so much. It was so much fun. And literally, so much fun. So entertaining. You know, we didn't even really work with kids. We're just talking about the theory of education. Mm. The time would pass so quickly in class. I'm like, oh, no, no, this is my thing. Now, just to add another bit of complexity to it is that my mom's a special ed teacher. Mm. But she never, she never said a word about me following in her footsteps. Matter of fact, after I graduated, she said, I knew you would make a good teacher, she said, but I deliberately, I didn't want to say anything to you. I wanted you to discover it on your own. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. So I didn't even get any reinforcement at all from her or my or my father. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that sounds like it's further confirmation if you yeah. found it on your own without that reinforcement. Mm-hmm. Mm. Absolutely. So if you, could Absolutely. Go, if you could go back in time to when you were 19 years old on the campus of Hampton University, with the knowledge you have now, what, what advice would you give to yourself, knowing what you know now? Ooh, let's see here. The advice that I would give to myself, I would say take advantage of stepping out of my comfort zone a little bit more and going to one of the travel abroad, being involved in the travel abroad program. Mm-hmm. To definitely, I had uh, little sisters from Chicago that were there at Hampton. And I found out they went to, I think it was Japan for a semester. Mm. And I thought, wow, what, what a cool opportunity. Like, I didn't even investigate that when I was at Hampton. And I thought about, even by this time, by the time I found out I was a senior, so, you know, graduation was the focus at that point. Mm. <laughs> but I would definitely tell uh, the younger Courtney Davis, check it out, go abroad, Go study, go explore someplace else that you've never been before and take advantage of that opportunity. 
Wow. Hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's great advice. Mm-hmm. Okay. I can also share that I would explore some things that were on Hampton's campus. For example, I didn't realize how awesome our museum was and how it's an award-winning museum right there on the campus. And remember, it was just a small little, really, department at that time. It's beautiful. It's huge. It has so many wonderful works of art. It's on, like, the top list of places to go for the state of Virginia. And so I would encourage people, definitely check that out before you leave. Make it a point to make that a regular destination on campus. Eric, did you did you know about that? <laughs> Why did you have that look on your face like she was telling you something? You should have seen that look, Dr. Courtney. You should have seen that look at her face like, I'm going to have to check that out. That was just cool. Y'all were there around the same time. What do you mean you, well, you didn't know about the museum on okay. campus? The, the, the museum looks very different now than it did before. Literally, it was like part of a floor that was like next to a dorm when we were students at Hampton. Now it's taken over. It's the old library now. They remodeled right. it. <laughs> Beautiful gift store in there. It's an amazing place, and I discovered it really, really late in the game when I was a student at Hampton University. Yeah, I had to think so back here. to where the, where the museum actually was. Look, 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 see? see. Yeah. See. But where, it was right look. But where was the stage show? Did you see that homecoming? Right, right, <laughs> right, right. No, so like the step show, the tailgate, that brought back instant memories. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much for the museum. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I hate to admit that, but <laughs> Eric looked just as surprised as I did about the music. We're both shaking our heads. And Dr. we was both shaking our head. I looked at Erica, what are you shaking your head for? That's your school. You know that museum? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for a moment, I forgot we had one there. That's there right. you go. So you, uh, you have this passion for youth literacy. Mm-hmm. What steps can our listeners take? You know, a lot of our listeners have children. They're trying to improve their reading abilities. Based on your experience, what steps can they take to improve on that youth literacy? Fantastic. Great question. Um, I would like, especially parents of our young children, I want you to expose children to as much literature as possible. Now, when I say literature, though, I'm really not focused or solely focused on books. I'm, I want to include in that to fill your house with magazines, Fill your house with the board books, which are like the cardboard pages, the kind that teeny-weeny toddlers can slobber on, those books. Um, I want you to fill your house with anything with words on it. You can create your own books together as a family project, but really exposing them to that thing that we're turning pages. We see some letters on a page. We really want to focus on exposing that, taking trips, to the local public library, mm. and they had really take advantage of the services of your local public library. They typically have scheduled story times. They have art activities that are in alignment with books. Uh, they have readers and storytellers that come in. They have awesome stories that are on tape so that you can listen to stories en route to work or to, to school. Uh, you can listen to, to there are storytelling podcasts that you can listen to as well. And so those are some things that really want to spark the interest 
of telling stories of how powerful words can be, transforming literally like our regular lives into someplace special, someplace magical. And I'd also emphasize that for parents to really focus on the students' interests for our older students. So we have early chapter books. And for our middle school and high school students, you know, sometimes we can kill it and drill it with a lot of books that they're just simply not interested in. Mm. So we want to find out what are they interested in and then go out in the world and connect them to those books. It's okay if it's a comic book. Now they call them graphic novels. Back in the day, there were Archie comic books when we were growing up. <laughs> and that's okay. They're, just, they're, they're still words on a page. They're interesting. They're fun. Um, and it's okay if they want to make up their own stories and not pay attention to the words on the actual page. It's all, it's all fun. Hmm. Okay, good. Now, hopefully, the listeners paying, were paying close attention to that. Uh, so, Britton, what, what question did you want to throw in? Well... I, you know, as as I recently found out, Dr. Davis is a defector from the political science community. Um, <laughs> so, but I do, I do, I do want to know, Dr. Davis. Now, do you still follow politics any, even though that's not your main area of expertise? Sure, you have to because this is D.C. and I'm a resident of Washington D.C. So. Just talking to neighbors, talking to anyone at the grocery store, anybody in the school, anybody at work, politics is going to impact their lives. So I think this is the this is like politics headquarters, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not only for Great. the United States, but for the world. Great. So, so don't that send me mean... up now. <laughs> so since you're an since you're an expert on politics, I got this question. <laughs> <laughs> you better stop. Get a break. Get but I know I've always found it very interesting um how much I know one of the first jobs I had in politics was speech writing and because my mother was an English major, uh, she also was one who defected from political science to English. Um, my mother was an English major and drilled into me reading and how much that would help me, even no matter what profession I chose. And I, I got real excited that one of my first opportunities in politics was speech writing. And so I wanted to know that, know that if you're young readers, um, are there any particular books for that teenage, that young adult, um, that would help them towards professional development. And they they're not necessarily have to be um, high-level themed books, but just get them in the practice of reading, understanding, comprehending, so that they'll be better prepared for our society. Hmm. Well, you know what? Particularly for our middle school, I'm going to say, we have some very interesting books that will actually be part of the Holiday Book Bazaar, and we have an educator that's written them. It's a five-book series, actually. It's called Crunchy Life. And so that author is Glenn Morning. And so 
he's written a series of books focusing in on young folks. I say young folks because they're like early chapter books, middle school students may enjoy as well. Um, that, again, as I was sharing earlier, by really focusing in on like in the lives of young people and having their lives being portrayed on the pages of the, of, of the books. And sometimes, a lot of times, we do see books like that in school, but sometimes our kids are like, eh, the teacher told me to read this, so I'm not very interested in what he or she tells me to do it inside the classroom. Yet still, if they were to come out to an event like the Holiday Book Bazaar, they will find other books that are more in alignment with their interests and coming from a different source. Even if it's a stranger, even if it's an author, definitely because they are protagonists, there are characters that look just like them. Mm. And that may also be a source of inspiration and interest to them as well. Excellent. Excellent. So you've written, Dr. Davis, you've written two children's books. So what what inspired you to kind of take that next step from being an educator to actually writing books for children? Only because educators, I mean, you want to talk about somebody who loves children's books. I mean, we're adults, yes, but they are so fascinating. And so literally just one day, I'm in a school already. I was already, my background in special education, I'm, I was at the time special education coordinator at a school, and we had an author visit, author illustrator visit. And I shared with him, I was like, one day I'm going to write a book too. And that was it. No details about it. I didn't have a clue of the topic of that book. I just felt like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a book too. It's real interesting how the world works when you when you say something out loud mm-hmm. because you really are planting a seed because the author illustrator I was talking to was Jerry Craft. Mm-hmm. And Jerry Craft is the illustrator for my for both of my children's books. Mm. But at that time I didn't know anything about Jerry Craft and he didn't know anything about me. He was actually coming to the school because he was doing an author visit in another classroom. Mm-hmm. He was friends with a colleague of mine. No connection. No, he was just being generous with some information about self-published books and passed it along to me. And I just said, one day I'm going to write that book. And that was it. We reconnected years later, and then he became the author from my book. And so as an educator, then when I moved here to Anacostia, I also worked at a local school. And I worked with kindergarten students, like pre-K, kindergarten, I was doing an assessment with them. And they were being assessed on the alphabet and the sounds of the alphabet, the sounds of the letters. And so I said, you know what, we really need something that connects our community to what they're learning. So what, what do we have here in the school? What do we have here in the community? And so I would go to the local uh, library or Anacostia Neighborhood Library, and I went to another one in the neighborhood, and they had, of course, historical information and books, but nothing for our tiniest readers. Hmm. So uh, I, I did what teachers typically do. If you don't have the materials you need, you go ahead and you create it. And so I, I wrote the AS for Anacostia, and I shared it with some students. They seemed to like it. I shared it with my colleagues. 
At the time, I was an adjunct professor at, at uh, Trinity. I shared it with some graduate students, and I got some really positive feedback. I If you write, you have to edit, and then write again, and edit again, and write it again. And then next thing you know, I finished it. And then I sat on it for about a year. Didn't do anything with it. Not a single thing. And it wasn't until around January um, that I figured, okay, 2010, 2011, I said, okay, it's time to get this thing. Like, we're going to really close the book, literally, on this project. And we're going to self-publish it. Hmm. And I thought, well, maybe we'll self-publish. I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll give it to my class that I'm working with. And I said, no. Uh, instead of my class, maybe all of the pre-K and all the kindergartens in my one school, and that's it. I said, nah. Okay, wait a minute. Since it's A, for a is for Anacostia, how about all the pre-Ks and all the kindergarten classes that are in the community? Mm-hmm. And it kept growing and growing. I said, just forget it. Let's just say the city. No, let's whoever wants to buy in the country, in the world, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that's when it was, after it's that time to get it out into the public. Hmm. And that's been, that's how that story was written, literally. So, so I'm just noted there's this innovative theme with mm-hmm. you, right? I mean, so you noticed there was nothing for the tiniest readers, and you went out and created something where some mm-hmm. people some people just see the obstacle and just keep it moving, and just you know they stay with that default setting we were talking about earlier. I mean, so so where does that innovation come? Where does that come from with you? I'm going to say it's surely a huge part of it has to be because I'm a teacher uh-huh. and I claim to be a teacher's teacher. And that's what we all typically do mm-hmm. when we don't have enough of something. We make it happen. We have to. Mm-hmm. We have to do that. And we do it on a daily basis. Okay. You will find that kind of innovation in every school, mm-hmm. in every community. I can't guarantee it's by everyone and at the same time, but I know that there are my colleagues um, that are in that building, they are making some magic happen. Whether it's feeding kids, whether it's, you know, they don't have it, they don't have a, a special curriculum in the special ed classroom, there are some teachers that are creating what, t- what kids need. Mm-hmm. They're doing it in math classes too. They're doing it with the gym teacher too. They're making it happen. Okay. So, so what will the young reader get that reads A is for Anacostia? What, what, what will they get? What will they walk away with? Or what will they uh, crawl away with? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited about that question. You know, they're going to get a love for their community. Because this book, I think it does two things. It reinforces the awesome things and people and places that you can actually visit here in our own community. And at the same time, it's very inviting. So if you don't live in Anacostia, you'll want to visit. Hmm. I think one of the best memories I have because of this book, I was talking to some kids, totally different community. I was at a a, a barbecue. And so we were having a read-in at the barbecue. And I had about nine or ten kids. And I was reading A is for Anacostia to them. And by the end of the story, I said, and they're like, Anacostia! And I mean, I had a whole squad. Anacostia! And we were, if we could, we would have boarded a bus to take to visit Anacostia. 
And so I love it that I can get kids hyped up. And not just kids, you know, get people, adults included, get hyped up about visiting uh, my current neighborhood. And it has so much living history right here. Uh, you know, I, I've also, uh, I was commissioned by the Smithsonian's, Smithsonian's Anacostia Community Museum to take a bus trip. I was the conductor of this bus trip, and it, we included Girl, Scout, Girl Scouts, parents, teachers, and took them on a two-hour tour of our community. And we were not bored, trust me. We used the book as our guide to some awesome places right here east of the river. We've done it for two-hour tours and even four-hour tours. And believe me, there are plenty of places that will fill the time that you've never experienced before. And also, you probably you haven't heard about them on TV either. Or in newspapers. That's why it's so important that you have books that are written and, and illustrated by people who know something about the community, who actually live in the community. Because you'll have a totally different perspective if you read A is for Anacostia in comparison to the local newspaper. Or if you pick up a textbook about my community. Again. And I'm not saying everyone is wrong as far as their perspective. I'm just saying you sometimes you receive biased opinions about places people have never visited. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. And it goes back to that power mm -hmm. of perspective. Mm -hmm. so, so same thing. Yeah. You, you took the next step. Uh, your next book is S is for Southside. So, so tell us about yeah. that. So you have to know that though my current home is, of course, southeast Washington, D.C. Um, my home where I was born and raised is the south side of Chicago. And so my parents, you have to give it to my parents because they really did. They harassed me. And they said, you wrote a book <laughs> for the kids in Anacostia, but the kids in Chicago, they need it too. They need a book too. And I said, okay, let's do this. It's time to write a book for the kids on the south side of Chicago too. And so the same sentiment that was used to write uh, the book A.S. Renacostia, it was the same. I, I used the same one for the S's for Southside and highlighting places that are specifically on the south side of Chicago that we can be proud of, that I can be born and raised and say, hey, do you remember the DuSable Museum, which is you know, the, the, one of the largest African-American museums in the country? You know, can, do you remember going to Rainbow Beach? Some of the, I have to say, of uh, the places inside the book, I have to make sure, I'm like, do they still exist? Mm -hmm. Am I going on my memory? So I had to, you know, talk to some people who currently live there and say, oh, wait, are people still interested in this particular place? And it turned out, yeah, they are. And you can do just the same. I'm, I can't wait to organize a trip where we can use S's for Southside as a map to travel along the south side of Chicago and visit. Because, again very similar to Anacostia, there are newspapers, <laughs> there are books, there are TV shows dedicated to perspectives that have nothing to do with the real people and lives that are being lived on the south side of Chicago. Just like when people ask me, well, you, did, when you were growing up, did someone shoot at you? And I'm just looking at them like they're crazy. And if someone asked me one more time about if I lived, you know, near the Evans family, it's going to be on because 
First of all, I'm like, I know it's Dynamite. been in rotation. It's been in, right, it's been in rotation for a minute. I'm like, first of all, that's not even the South Side. But still, you know, like, no, no. But that's because people are looking at TV and they're looking, you know, on cable. They're looking for all these other resources to tell them about the South Side of Chicago without ever visiting without mm. ever meeting someone who actually lives in the South Side. Again, I'm saying come and, and determine for your own self that, you know, whether it's, it's a, a positive or negative or what resources you have and why it is the way it is, find out for yourself. Again, if you read, then, of course, you'll be using your critical thinking skills. And you'll find out. Yes. So you you got A is for Anacostia. You've got S is for Southside. So, so when do you plan to write your next book? A is for Arlington. I'm, I'm in the process. I'm in the process of doing it. And you know what? I have asked people, well, where should we go next? You know, and I, I think I, on Facebook, I asked people a while ago about, okay, we don't have to stay in the United States if we don't want to. Mm. I mean, we could be, be as for Brazil. Mm. G is for Ghana. I mean, we don't have to stay, you know. P is for Paris. And so I found a lot of DMV folks, though. They want you to stay right here. Then I did hear, like, you know, M is for Maryland. I'm like, but here's the thing. I, I, I live in Anacostia. I live and still go home to visit, but still, I grew up there on the, in Chicago, on the south side of Chicago. So to write another book about another place, I really need to have the inside scoop. Mm. You know, I'm not to do my research. That means I need some people who are authentic mm. to the area. And so I encourage the kids that I talk to. I said, "Hey, why don't you write the next the next book on the next place?" Mm. For me, I'm writing that third book. F is for family reunion. Mm. So you know how we do. Oh, you know, during family reunions, we come from all, if not all over the country, maybe for some families all over the world. And you know, we're going to focus on food. We're going to focus on all the fun that we have with each other, whether that's playing cards or having the sack race or having a water balloon fight. It's all part of our family reunion, reconnecting with each other from all over the place. So I'm excited about that. But at the same time, I'm also going to focus on another book, children's book as well. I'm trying to make my way up to an older reader. Mm. I really do. I, I would love to have some, some books that focus on something probably for middle school students that's coming up soon. But I tell you, it can only, I can only get there if I finish one book at a time. So I am determined I think I'm going to need your help, Eric, as far as like time management and being very focused and not procrastinating on hitting these goals. Absolutely, mm -hmm. I thought, I thought so many things can become distracting. It's an awesome distraction, I said. But I'm going to tell you that book festival. I'm like, I'm supposed to be writing, I thought, but I was organizing. I thought you were about to say you needed Eric's help. You guys are going to do a. H is for Hampton or something. I was gonna be like, man. Uh, well, <laughs> that's not a bad idea. Right, right, right. That, yeah, but that, you wouldn't know anything about the, you, you wouldn't know anything about the museum, though, Eric. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say St. 
stay tuned. We're going to put a pin in that idea because oh. I, I have no doubt that Eric and I, as Hamptonians, oh. will write something concerning our beloved HU. All right. My, my section will be, this is the tailgate. <laughs> the tailgate. <laughs> this is the tailgate. Step show section. <laughs> Eric said he's got the step show section and the tailgate section. Yeah, I got that covered. <laughs> but no, that's awesome. I mean, that that's unique perspective. Because people have the, I used to get that all the time, whether at Hampton and or wherever else, and I say I'm from D.C. Ooh, D.C. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh. Yes. You're dodging bullets. Murder capital. Right. Yes. Yes. So, and that's just because they don't know anything else. You know, it's like if they would just, just find a different perspective, as you shared earlier. Absolutely. Absolutely. So do you ever, you said you, you're moving up in the age range. Do you ever yeah. see yourself writing a book for grownups? I do. Okay. I do. My background is in special education, so I would, I, and by day I work with and coach parents in finding resources for their students with disabilities. Mm. And so I definitely have um, a vision for writing for adults, specifically about students with disabilities. Mm. Something that's very practical and that will actually help them kind of navigate the, uh, the special education system. Oh, that would be very helpful for, for sure. people out there. For sure. Mm -hmm. Very good. Okay, Britton, what's your question? <laughs> Come on, Britton. <laughs> Come on, Britton. <laughs> No, 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 no! I'm not gonna, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna leave you. I'm not gonna get another, another setup. I'm only, I'm only, I'm only allowed one setup per day, um, per per interview. Um, for before Eric sends me a F is for fire. Terminated. Um, <laughs> 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 but, but no. In, in actuality, um, I did want to ask about, you know, working with, with younger readers and younger people in the community, um, it is very significant to have them write their own experiences about their community. Um, and I love the idea that you essentially plan to grow with your reader. Um, as your reader matriculates through your writing books parallel to that experience. Um, if you were encouraging young authors versus, you know, who are who may be in other fields of expertise. You are very passionate as you were in education. Mm -hmm. uh, what advice would you give to someone uh, across various spectrums of life if they want to welcome kids into their arena? How would they go about that? Mm, if they're coming from different professional fields? Yes. Mm, and they want to increase their interest of kids. Right. If I want to get some kids excited about politics, get some kids excited about, or a scientist want to get some kids excited about STEM, what, what, what would help us relate to the younger readers? You know what? The answers are in books. Because, again, I'm going to tell you about coming on over to the Holiday Book Bazaar because we have exactly that. We have authors that are scientists by day that are attorneys by day, that are educators by day of many different uh, topics, math, English, and they are attracting young readers with books. And along with books, 
They're in alignment with hands-on activities. So for those particularly young males that we seem to have in our classrooms that aren't very interested in reading sometimes, you're like, well, God, well, we'll get you. Because what we're reading about, we're going to actually do the activity right here at the same time. And so we grab their attention that way. It's all the answers are right there in between those pages. Hmm. Eric, she stays on message very well. <laughs> Apparently, there's a bizarre <laughs> We're going to get to that bazaar. <laughs> Let me tell you what you're going to do. You're going you're gonna to get to that bazaar. Like, she pivoted like a seasoned politician. That's right. <laughs> you all better stop. So now, speaking of the holiday bazaar, holiday book bazaar, this would be a good time to talk about that. So, Fantastic. Yeah, let's... Share the details of the Holiday Book Bazaar with the dates, the kind of books, okay. the kind of things that are going to be going on at this event. Fantastic. It is a free event for readers of all ages. It will take place at the shops at Iverson, formerly known as Iverson Mall, mm -hmm. on 3737 Branch Avenue. That's Temple Hills, Maryland. And it will take place on December 7th. Saturday, December 14th, and Saturday, December 21st. The three Saturdays that lead up to our Christmas holiday. And so we would love for readers of all ages to come out between the times of 11 to 5 p.m. to come out, introduce yourself to some awesome authors, get them to autograph their books, purchase and support many books from coloring books, we have books for early readers, teens, and adults across all genres. So we have fiction, nonfiction, poetry, children's lit, romance, and how-to books as well. We even have on a lower level, uh, starting at as early as 12 p.m., storytellers mm. for children. And we have workshops for those who are interested in self-publishing during the afternoon. And I really want folks to pay attention to the fact that we have our meetup there on December 7th. That's Saturday, December 7th, from 1.30 to 3 p.m. On the stage, on the lower level, we will have um, a meetup with the self-publishing creatives. And it's basically a support group. For people who are interested in self-publishing, as well as those who are more seasoned and have already self-published their own books. Mm. Okay, so, you got so we're ready for you. We're calling out all readers, all writers, all educators, all parents. Come on out. We know we have something just for you. Now, every weekend, we will probably have, we will have a different set of authors. All right, so for this first Saturday on December 7th, we have 12 authors, and they're waiting for you. We know you're interested in reading. We're ready to defy those negative messages that we hear on TV and we see in the newspapers. Because here's the interesting fact about the shops at Iverson is that they don't have a bookstore. Hmm. They don't have a single bookstore out there. As a matter of fact, when I was looking at the entire community and driving around and trying to figure, well, if I wanted to buy a novel or early reader for my elementary school students, where would I go? 
Well, of course, you can always go to your public library. But let's say you want to do something of specific interest. And so there's a, a particular novel that's very recent, and you just you can't find it there yet. What bookstore would I go to? Can I tell you, you're going to have to, to ride that bus quite a long, a long ways away or hop in your car. Because I ended up driving down to Waldorf, and if I was coming towards D.C., I ended up going to Mahogany Books, that's located in Ward 8 at the Anacostia Arts Center. So in either direction, to me, that's too, that's too far. And it takes too long to go anywhere other than your local community to find an interesting book. So what I want people to do is take advantage of this time, of this, of this opportunity to find books that are one of a kind, that are unique. If you don't find it now, of course, you can go online. But this is a wonderful opportunity that's so special because you, you can meet the actual author of the book. And you can ask questions. How'd you get how'd you get started? What was the catalyst for such an awesome tale? And they're right there to give you an immediate answer. Faster than Google. <laughs> Faster than Google. Eric, will you be at That's the right. will, you, will you be at the, the bazaar? Why why yes I will, Ted. Hmm. <laughs> it's funny you should mention that. December fourteenth. December fourteenth. That's right. And I'm sure you'll be talking about 12 Practical. The Discipline of Now right. will be one of the yeah. books that's featured in the Holiday Book Bazaar. That's great. That's when you'll be signing. I will be signing copies. Wow. That's, that's great. right. That's great. People can bring. And we will also make sure that Eric is on the lower level sharing some helpful tips hmm. with people who need to jumpstart their next book or their first book, for that matter. Oh, well, I, I need to be. I need to be there for that. Get that those those helpful tips to jump start. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So that's the Holiday Book Bazaar. It's December seventh, December fourteenth, December twenty first, from eleven to five. What were the times for that meetup on December seventh? Sure, it's from one thirty to three, and we'll be right there at the lower level, right next to the stage. Okay. Very good. So we are very excited to support each other, to make sure we share resources, discuss our successes, as well as our challenges. Yes. Every writer needs to be a part of a community of writers and authors. We're all working on the same thing. Hmm. You know, it's interesting because you, you think that, you know, certain challenges you run into are only happening to you. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like uh, exactly. Dr. Davis, we were uh, talking to another author who was talking about how he had his book and he, he trusted the editor. Mm. <laughs> he mm -hmm. got the book and it was like mm -hmm. mistakes on every page, <laughs> like mistakes you didn't yes. have to be an English teacher to catch. Uh, you know, <laughs> you got, I guess you got the wrong editor. <laughs> <laughs> but you think you know some of these challenges, you know, are, are just unique to you. Yeah, but that's why it just really helps to get in an no matter what you do. You know, if you're a CEO, get in an environment of other CEOs. Mm. You know, I'm sure, yeah. you know, you see, you'll find that, you know, you're not the only one struggling with certain challenges. A peer group, huh? Peer group, absolutely. Mm. Yep. Now, that's fantastic. And now, I wonder, as um, our time is wrapping up, I know you also, you have the East of the River Book Festival that you started yeah. six years ago or so. Tell us about that. We are now moving towards our seventh year, planning for our seventh year. 
And can I tell you, we are so excited planning for this event that solely focuses on self-published authors across all genres. Um, it typically takes place in October. So our next one will be during the month of October 2020. And if you can tell, I'm, I have a wide smile on my face while I say that. Mm-hmm. Um, we will absolutely post uh, the application and more information. You can always reach us at eotrbooksdesk.com. So we're going to post those details, and we're, we have the same name on Facebook as well and on Twitter. All right. So, so how can our listeners get a hold of you as far as if they want to get your books? A is for Anacostia or S is for Southside. What's the best way for sure, them to connect so, with you? I'm so glad you asked me. They can always go to www.drdrcourtneydavis, D-R-C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y-D-A-V-I-S.com. That's D-R-C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y-D-A-V-I-S dot com. You can always reach me on Twitter as well at The Real D-R-C-D and on Facebook, The Real D-R Courtney Davis. And IG, which I'm trying to be really high tech with my IG skills, (laughs) and that's at D-R Courtney Davis. Fantastic. All right. All right. It's my, my initial CD with kind of a, a purple background. And if they want more information about the, um, the Holiday Book Bazaar, we are at Iverson HBB. That's the Holiday Book Bazaar. That's at Iverson HBB on Facebook, IG, and Twitter. Excellent. All right. Mm-hmm. So we're about to go around the horn. This is the part of the show where we each leave a final thought to leave the people with. So we'll start with you, Dr. Davis. I mean, you've said a lot during this episode. So what's that one final thought you'd like to leave with our listeners to remember you by? Uh, To remember me by? Remember that it's so important to plant the seed for reading. Of course, we know that it's, it's functional. We have to know how to read, but it's also so much fun. So have fun with us during the Holiday Book Bazaar in December. <laughs> Did I drop it one more time? Did I stay on message one more time? That's right. That is really good. That's great. There you go. <laughs> Plan a seed for reading. And make sure you go mm-hmm. to the Holiday Book Bazaar. I heard there was a Holiday Book Bazaar coming up at some point. Is there there really you go. A Holiday Book Bazaar. <laughs> Dr. Courtney Davis, could you tell us about the, the upcoming Holiday Book Bazaar? <laughs> that was great. You always got to repeat the message. December 7th, December 14th, and December 21st. Absolutely. Yeah. Iverson Mall. You need to be at the Shop Set Iverson. Shop Set Iverson. It's not the Iverson Mall anymore. Shop Right. Used to be They're rebranding now. Right. There's a shop that I remember. You remember you used to be Iverson Mall. I remember Iverson Mall. Well, we had no money, but you just walked around <laughs> all day up in there. Yeah. That was a good time back in the day. Oh, man. Iverson Mall. The memories. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Davis. So uh, Thank you so much. Ted, what is your uh, round the horn? 
Yeah, I really enjoyed this uh, interview with Dr. Davis. I could really tell that uh, she's very passionate. Yes. About uh, educating and you know, you know, writing books that are you know there for our younger readers. And yeah, you know, I just think that's uh, you know, it's really great. And one the one thing that you know really stood out was when you talked about doing something that you know try, trying to find something that you could do for free. Mm -hmm. Right, you know, like that's a real mm -hmm. big deal. Like, you know, you you enjoy what you're doing so much that it's not about the the money. And it's also very interesting that uh, that your your mother was in in that same educational field and never said anything to you really about it. Mm -mm. And you kind of you know came into that. So I guess that was in your DNA, right? To actually. Mm -hmm. To, to have that interest in that, so that that that, that was really uh, really good. Appreciate you uh, you uh, you sharing that with us. Thank you. All right, Britton. As the resident millennial, I have to be very forthright <laughs> in saying, um, right. aside aside from aside from my interest in the holiday book bazaar um, <laughs> at at the shops at Iverson. <laughs> um, I have to say, on a, uh, a technologically sound and business-centered uh, uh, thoughtful around the horn, I'm very interested in Disney+. Plus. Mm. So, as I don't have any children, mm. I am still very interested in Disney+, Plus because all the Disney original classics are there. Mm. <laughs> Plus... <laughs> <laughs> and I don't care because I am confident in who I am. So your judgment phases me not. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I will spend my holiday uh, preparing my engagement in, in Disney Plus land. Nice. All right. I've learned a lot about Britain on this episode. The resident millennial. The resident millennial. That likes Disney Plus. Right. So, Disney Plus enthusiast. All right. So my uh, around the horn kind of goes back to just this whole idea of the default setting. Mm. And you look at the whole theme of the things Dr. Davis has done. She just hasn't settled for what was there. Mm. You know, and as I was preparing for this show, I saw another interesting study. They studied 30,000 people and they found this weird thing, right? And they found that the people who had Chrome, Google Chrome and Firefox on their computer tended to mm -hmm. stay longer. If they used that as their browser, they tended to stay longer on their jobs. They were more successful and everything else than people that just, if they came in, they just only used the, uh, the Explorer, Internet Explorer uh, browser. Interesting. You know why that is? No. Because no. that Internet Explorer is the default setting. Mm. And they said, no, they, they said that these people, the people that go to Chrome or that go to Firefox, they're in the habit of not just accepting what's given to them. Mm. So they tend to, oh. they tend to be uh, more successful. Just like Dr. Davis. She didn't accept what was given to her. You know, she said, I'm going to find a way. You know, I'm not going to accept with these, uh, with with the uh, self-published authors have to go through. 
Yeah. I'm not going to accept the perception that they have about our community. You know, I'm going to go and make something and make sure we've got books for the community and everything else. No, that's great. I, I just want to know who goes out here and does these surveys of 30,000 people to see which browsers they use. Yeah, it's in a book. Uh, <laughs> that's what I want to know. The name of the book, it's, it's called Originals. Uh, the author is Adam Grant. Wow. Yeah, he talks about that. I mean, the whole idea is just really thinking from an innovator's perspective and not just not just settling for what was there, like most people. That's interesting. Yeah. Wow. I'd like to be um get to do some of those random surveys. Right. Who like, gets that job? You get to do the random survey. <laughs> you know, out of forty out of forty thousand people that eat Kellogg's cereal. So, you know what I mean? Like, who comes up with that stuff? Uh-huh. Man. All right. Once again, it's not your everyday podcast. No. As we've, as we've heard today. No. That's right. Yeah. So you can follow us on Facebook. You can follow us on Instagram. You can follow us on YouTube. You can follow us on iTunes. You can subscribe and get an instant notification when we post a new episode, all you need to do is type the 30-minute hour into the search bar and you will find us. That's it for this week. Until next time, have a great one.